I've never been terribly fond of the cleanup process. Creating things, making art, and digging through libraries have always held my heart. The wretched, repetitive tedium of returning things to their state prior to my tornado passing has sometimes, I'm almost ashamed to admit, been so distasteful that I decided against doing anything just to avoid making the mess. Even so, sometimes things just need to be done, cleaning and all. An eon ago, folks printed Life is Messy on cheap polyester blend throw pillows like it was some profound statement of self-acceptance and not a quick buck off a fact of life. Jenny moved on a few days back. She stayed here for a peaceful three days, enough to let her achy legs rest and to eat enough that I still can't fathom how she had room. She sat with me on the bench under the oak tree, watching the leaves start to fall and listened to me ramble on about my first failure when learning how to make acorn flour. I didn't have much in the way of hand-me-downs to give her, and she said a quilt wouldn't fit in her duffel bag, so I filled the remaining space in her pack with foods that should keep her until the next auntie's place, and one small blue pipe cleaner flower that she proudly tucked behind her ear. She dropped her bag to hug me tight before she left, saying she would do her best to make her brother and I proud. She's a good kid, and I desperately hope that the future will treat her more kindly than the past. I had gotten a concerned call from another auntie up the line on the night Jenny left, about a young man on his way, looking for his runaway cousin. So I took some time to do some of the gathering I had put off while she was here. We don't exactly have formal codes among the helpers, but that particular phrasing is never a happy one. And besides, with another Ohio winter just lurking over the horizon, I needed to get some things sorted anyway. I was unsurprised when I heard hooves headed my way from beyond the sight lines, blocked by the somewhat overgrown evergreen hedge along one side of my yard. I crushed the spark out of my half-finished cigarette, a rare treat I'd bartered for, and tucked it away in my battered old cigarette tin as a graceful equine head passed the hedge, followed shortly by a graceful human face in profile. He wore his shoulder-length light brown hair neatly tied back, and a trim beard as if to lend a remarkably young face artificial authority. He rode with a carefully straight posture, as if he thought anyone who might peek out a window shouldn't see him at ease, but he also didn't seem to keep much watch of his surroundings. He seemed almost startled when he finally looked my direction before he visibly corrected to friendly nonchalance. Excuse me, ma'am. I've come out this way on the word of a Miss Lydia. She told me the reverend at the Yellow House might have seen my cousin passing by. I was surprised she didn't send me to a church. Is the reverend in? His speaking voice sounded as if he put effort into oration, measured to be heard over a distance, but also as though he practiced staying on the low end of his comfortable range. He didn't wait for a response before he turned the horse up the driveway. He stayed mounted, as I told him, well, young man, I'm the reverend you were sent to find. His face slipped to real surprise, and I smiled up at him cheerily and went on, It's not long until sunset. You're welcome to make use of my guest room if you don't have an appointment somewhere down the road. I don't have a barn, but there's a decent-sized open lean-to around back that should keep some of the wind and rain off your horse if you want to tie her out there. I don't have a brush or much in the way of feed for her, though, because I don't keep horses of my own. I'll head inside and get dinner started. I can imagine you're hungry after a long ride. Kitchen is straight through the front door, just past the living room, and the bathroom is to the right for you to wash up. 
I nodded and bustled off into the house before he could compose a reply. In my best impression of a mother hen, I set out a half-full salad bowl of fresh greenery on the kitchen table, alongside salt and pepper, two smaller dishes of unsugared cut strawberries and walnuts, and a smallish bottle of homemade vinaigrette, and then started composing a casserole. I heard him step inside the front door and courteously remove his boots before moving toward the bathroom. He stepped carefully into the kitchen as I was layering shredded leftover chicken on top of cubed potatoes. His voice was just a little bit higher when he said, I, uh, appreciate your hospitality, ma'am. And settled into one of the chairs at the table, as if he didn't need to keep up the projection of authority around one woman. I smiled and shook my head at him. Son, if you're set on being formal, it's reverend. But if you'll introduce yourself, you can call me Raz. His eyebrows knit for a moment, no doubt weighing out whether it would be more blasphemous to ignore the honorific protocols of politeness, or to ignore hostess preference as a guest in my home, or to acknowledge that any woman could hold religious authority. But, to his credit, it was a fairly quick moment before he brightened and said, Pleased to make your acquaintance, Raz. My name is Alexander Thomas, but you can call me Al. I nodded as I added corn, peas, carrots, spices, some shredded cheese, and some leftover cauliflower cheese soup to the casserole dish. I couldn't help but notice his eyes catch on the extravagance of it. No real wonder. I've heard the new crusaders aren't much for actual farming, and cows are hard to keep with contested land and lacking water. I washed my hands before I brought plates, glasses, and cutlery to the table. Now, it'll be a little bit before the veggies cook through. It's fairly standard for folks out your way to not get your greens, so I insist you get stuck in on this salad while we wait. It's all fresh picked, and I had the other half for lunch, so it's all yours. Fair warning, it's a little on the bitter side this late in the season, but the strawberries and dressing should help, so add as much as you please. And you can use the bowl if it's easier than trying to dish it out and mix it on a plate. He held up his fork, but hesitated. Um, what's all in it? I counted on my fingers as I rattled off. Oh, dandelion greens, beet greens, watercress, spinach, parsley, some radish slices, a little bit of roasted squash. Good nutritious stuff that might help fill in some gaps in your diet. There's not much call for sermons out this way, so my primary trade skill anymore is foraging and gardening and knowing how to use plants properly. He ate a forkful from the bowl and made a bit of a face before adding all the fixings, but he did continue munching dutifully. He managed to get halfway through before curiosity got to him. I hope you don't think me rude for asking, Miss Raz, but how is it that someone faithful enough to be known as the Reverend of these parts never made it out to the Dominion lands? I don't mean any disrespect, of course. It just strikes me as being lonely, so deep in the heathen territories, without our people for support and guidance. Good lad, raised polite enough to ask about my claim to a title, but to do it sideways. No threat, no confrontation while accepting hospitality, but... His raising couldn't let the affront of a woman claiming authority go without some explanation. I have not missed such indirect communication, or the desperation for decorum and politeness, but I can still play the part when the need arises. Do you recall, in the early days of the New Exodus, 
The pastors and preachers made it very clear the kind of people they needed in this crusade. At the time, I was honestly rather hurt, but by now I've come to see the wisdom in being behind the lines with an understanding of the Word of God. It's akin to missionary work, except the wilderness came to me. He paused the next forkful of greens and tart strawberries just long enough to ask, The kind of people? What kind of people? I slipped into the practiced cadence of many a televangelist from the days before, as easily as breathing. Things that are aimed at your throat do tend to linger in your mind, after all. Brothers and sisters, the time of the new exodus is upon us, and it is our duty to gather together where we are strong, and to use that strength to conquer the heathens who have usurped this once great nation, to return these hallowed shores to the glory and favor of God himself, who guides our hand. But brothers and sisters, you must understand that the first wave must be warriors. We cannot afford to have our steady sword hand busy with other tasks. Now is not the time for plowshares and sickbeds. Brothers, if you are elderly, if your body or your mind is not sound and ready to take up arms, you must wait in the heathen lands until we come to free you. Sisters, if you are elderly or infirm or unable to bear children to raise into godly new warriors, if you hold yourself too prideful to submit to authority in all ways without question or complaint, if you are unable to be the helpmeet our soldiers will need, then you will help us best by staying behind. The war front will be brutal. No war is kind. We cannot afford to take care of those who are unable to contribute more than they take. Instead, you must stay behind, sap the resources of our enemies, offer our brave fighters sanctuary, and bear the word of God in the lands that have forgotten him until we return to free you. With a deep sigh, I felt my posture settle back and only belatedly realized that I'd been waving my hands in sweeping gestures to cameras that weren't there embodying the performance I had seen and heard too many times to count. I lowered my eyes to the nearly empty salad bowl and smiled sadly. I haven't got kids, and I'm probably too old for them anyway, but I've always been sick. The medicine I need to survive would strain resources out there, but around here I've gotten by well enough with barter and foraging, and I do know the book, well enough to roll out plenty of fiery sermons and even prophesize in times when godly men were more forgiving about such things. But there was no room for me in the holy kingdoms, and I understand why. So it goes, I guess. He nodded solemnly, swallowing the last forkful of salad. He had gone very still and wide-eyed as I had declaimed, like a child at his first tent revival meeting. He didn't bristle at anything I had said, which only surprised me a little. People were raised to occupy positions of power, are often allowed to know more of actual history, and are more allowed to see how things have changed, and I remember the night Jenny had broken down about a certain Elder Thomas. Alexander was no mere foot soldier on an errand. Before too long, the little frog-shaped timer dinged, so I busied myself with bringing the casserole to the table and dishing out a large serving to both myself and Alexander. His eyes lit up when the portion hit his plate, Miss Raz, I can already tell that I haven't eaten half this well since God called my mother home. My sisters do what they can, but it's harder to do with the quality of the ingredients they can get. Or so they say. 
I saw an opportunity to get him to open up, so I asked about his family. Between smallish forkfuls savored carefully, he rattled off names and ages like a sports team. Eight sisters, two younger brothers, two second mothers, and his father, Elder Zachariah James Thomas, given rightful headship of their town as something akin to both mayor and preacher, by a holy commander whose name I didn't catch. Every sister over the age of 16 had been married off, leaving two of them at home. But even though his own mother had died in childbirth a few years ago, his father's wives still took care of the home, though he mentioned that their cooking didn't hold up to hers or mine. I smiled warmly and offered him a second helping, to which he eagerly held out his plate. So tell me, son, what about this runaway cousin that brought you my way? Lydia mentioned that, but not much more. I set aside my own plate for a little while, refilled both our glasses with iced tea, and settled my chin on folded hands, letting my elbows rest on the table to offer a bit more informality. He looked solemn as he swallowed a bite, no doubt carefully considering what he could safely say here, even if I did speak his language. Not a bad trait to be careful, of course, though I'd gotten past his guard a bit already. It's easy to do when you feed someone and make them feel welcome. That's part of why visitors like this are left to me from time to time. He finally sighed, then began, Cousin by marriage, to be honest, through my second mother, Anna. It's truly unfortunate, Miss Raz, and hopefully a misunderstanding. Her parents died a good while back, mother from sickness and father to bandits while moving supplies. Her elder brother became head of house, of course, and the town women checked in often to continue her wifely training. But we found out that her brother was a criminal of the most awful sort. The kind that can undermine morale, and thus the crusade itself. And as the rightful head of our community, my father could not allow abomination to take root within our own house. So a night raid was ordered to send him to the front and give him the mercy of martyrdom. She was taken into our house until marriage, and father thought that as his heir, he might give her to me to reduce her stress and let her only have to establish herself this one time. Since she isn't by blood, he wants our line assured, and my little brothers from my second mothers are still barely in training. Far too early for thinking about marriage, it's a good match. And I'm not one of those old fogies with four ringed up and another in his sights. I would have time for her. I'm 20 and established enough to rank a wife of my own already. But she haired off in the middle of the night, no doubt fearful that one of the old men would claim her first. I just need to find her, tell her she would be safe with me, and get her back home. You've been exceedingly kind, of course, but the godless lands are no place for an innocent, unaccompanied young woman. He frowned in surprise at his empty plate and sheepishly held it out for one more helping. I laughed and waved at him to set his plate down. If you eat more cheese, you'll give yourself a stomachache. Here, I have a dessert I left to stay warm in the oven. I'll go grab it. His face lit up in wonder at the sight, and perhaps the scent, of a fresh-baked warm cherry coffee cake with buttery crumbles of cinnamon and sugar browned across the top. My baking is worlds better than my cooking. I made the cherry preserves myself. 
The secret to a good fruit coffee cake is including just enough dry oatmeal in the batter that it doesn't go soggy. Maybe just a tablespoon or so, but it takes practice to judge it well. His hands shook ever so slightly as he slowly chewed the first bite, eyes rolled back in near-rapturous enjoyment. Mm, Miss Raz, you are truly blessed by God to be able to make things like this. I can understand why you stayed here, but I would happily offer you a place in my house as a maiden aunt once I bring Jenny home. Even with your need for medicine, getting to eat like this, that alone would be worth it. We ate our dessert in companionable silence for a bit before I said, I think I did see her headed north, a bit over a week ago, but she didn't stop long. She just asked for water before she moved on. It's late enough that I'd have better luck calling around in the morning to see if anyone else has seen her up that way. As I said, you're welcome to rest here for the night. He nodded, but frowned, holding his stomach. I appreciate it. Oh, I, I think I may have overindulged after all. Not used to eating such rich food. I'm not one for getting heartburn, but, uh, I think I've got some going now. His eyes widened, and he gasped out a, Oh, please excuse me before standing up with effort and rushing towards the bathroom in a wobbly shuffle. He didn't shut the door or click the light on, but by the sound of it, he did make it to the toilet before he began retching. I waited at the table, nervously picking at my cuticle, until I heard a thud, a downward slide against the wall, and then uncoordinated scrabbling against the tile floor. I stood slowly, less need to rush now, and the dread in my own stomach might not have let me anyway. I flicked the light on to see him sprawled beside the bathtub, muscles twitching and dilated eyes staring up at me, grimacing as spittle oozed down his cheek toward the floor. He sounded like he couldn't catch his breath as he held out a shaking hand and begged, Mother, pray with me. <laughs> I knelt down and grasped his hand in both of mine. His jaw worked, but his breath caught again. Sometimes mercy is a quick end, but shy of that, compassion will do. I began to say the 23rd Psalm, the King James Version I had learned as a child. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. His hand clenched tighter around mine as his whole body shook and his eyes pleaded with me for mercy or healing or just for me to pray faster. I couldn't tell, but I felt the tears starting down my own cheeks. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He had been a good young man, as good as he could have been after being raised in that system. He should have been in college, not dying on my bathroom floor. He should have had the chance to be anything but a vessel for the power of an old man using an old book as a weapon. But likewise, Jenny should have had that chance too. And maybe now she might. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Let his father think he was a runaway too. That he saw the outside world wasn't so bad and took his chance not to live under some holy thumb. 
maybe this would harm their morale. Maybe it would interrupt some line of command just a little. Maybe it would protect the aunties a little while longer. Watching his eyes fade and unfocus, all my justifications to myself didn't make things any easier. It was still the end of a life, and it was still my hand that did it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I knelt there, still holding his hand in both of mine, until his muscles stopped twitching, his chest stopped trying to rise, and the pulse in his wrists no longer bounced against my gentle fingertips. I take no joy in the death of an enemy, especially this one, with could-have-beens and should-have-beens for the lives he wouldn't live, ringing through my mind in protest. But certain feminine traditions linger in me, generations of battered women tied down by childbirth and circumstance in days when there was no other way to safety, despite all my lifetime of railing against them. Better that I see it through than to pass it off to someone who couldn't find it within themselves to do the same. There's a reason they get sent to me. I went out the back door to grab the folded tarp in the little garden shed. Aunt Lydia's horse dozed peacefully in the quiet darkness as the lightning bugs were just starting to lift off from the grass and glimmer against the steady starlight. I wanted to stay out there to try for some peace of my own, but I still had work to do. Back inside, I spread out the tarp beside Alexander's still remains and felt for his pulse again, waiting a full two minutes and feeling nothing. I paused to take note of the boy's stoicism. I had honestly been heavy-handed out of caution, not knowing exactly how strong it would be this late in the season. I gently tied an old plastic bag around his head before tying his wrists and ankles and carefully rolling him onto the tarp. I grabbed two corners and used it to slide his body out the back door slowly, down the back porch steps, and finally rested him along the back wall beneath a window. I wrapped it around him and offered the only honest prayer I had the whole night. Alexander Thomas, I hope that the gods see you as the well-meaning soul you were and offer you kindness at their own table. And I pray that should you choose to try another life, that the world will be a kinder place to all of us by then. I took time to set out a small round mirror and a lit tea light candle at the bottom step of each outside door. Before I set to putting away dinner and scrubbing down the bathroom, I called the pig farmer down the way. He wasn't one of the aunties, but he was an ally to us and had been notified the same day that I was. Not all helpers are as visible as we choose to be. Hello there, Dave. Oh, hello, Reverend. What can I do for you? I was hoping to ask for a favor. Well, I got plenty of favors. What you need? Could you bring your cart by tomorrow morning? My cart? I found a whole heap of noxious weeds while I was getting my garden set for winter, and it would overwhelm my compost right as things are about to get cold. Oh, yeah, well, we, we wouldn't want that. That, and I need to get Lydia's horse back to her. Such a dear soul letting me borrow sweetie like that. Yeah, Reverend, of course. I'll bring it in the morning. Thank you so much. I appreciate it more than I can say. Yeah, of course. Uh, how are you doing with that visitor I heard about? I'll be all right in a little while. 
you know how it goes. One does what one can, right? <laughs>